You're live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the May 3rd edition of The Way with Anoa. I want to kick off tonight with a quote from one of my faves, Miss Nina Simone. I'm a real rebel with the cause. You know, that's just how I roll. Um, thank you so much and welcome to all of you who are joining us. Tonight's going to be a little different. Um, you know, there are changes happening with the Progressive Army, with the Benjamin Dixon Show. Now moving to his new studio location, there's going to be two separate links um, starting tonight until well, no, just going forward, there are going to be two separate links for my show, for Ben's show, and there's going to be a separate sh uh, link on Thursday night for Niz and Richard. Um, not Still not sure what they've decided to call their new collabo, but I know it's going to be fire. So you got to definitely check them out um, 7 to 9 on Thursdays. So um, thank you for joining us. Appreciate Ben and the rest of the Progressive Army for helping me do what I do. Uh, if you like what you've seen so far if you haven't hit that little subscribe button please do so and help the benjamin dixon show youtube channel get to 10,000 subscriptions before mm, let's say let's do it before june let's do it before the first let's definitely do it before the convention but let's 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 aim high also follow us on twitter you can follow me at Miss No ESQ. You can follow Ben at the BPD show. You can follow the Progressive Army at Progressive Army. Check us out on Facebook. <sighs> How y'all doing? Um, today is another primary. We have like a primary a week. I think the next one tonight is Indiana. Um, polls closed at 6 p.m. And last I checked, there were still people standing in line and it was so, so close. Um, I'm getting uh, some stuff in. Last I checked, Bernie was originally down by seven when when the results were first coming in. And now last night, last check, thank you, Dr. Q, my girl, my sister, always hooking me up with the good info. Um, Bernie was uh, up three points ahead, 51.6 to 48.4. So um, again, polls have closed. People were still standing in line for them to see. So throughout the hour, I'm gonna take intermittent breaks and let you all know like what's going on with Indiana, how that's looking. Um, but not going to spend too much time. I mean, you know, the primaries happen. I think uh, we have West Virginia next week. Nebraska's coming up. Uh, is it Guam is coming up next too? Um, there's so many different primaries still ahead of us. You know, I know we see a lot of stuff about, oh my God, it's all over. Oh my God, look, it ain't over. There's no fat lady. She ain't saying. There's no fat man. He ain't saying. You know what I'm saying? We are still in it to win it. We are pushing and moving forward. We keep having a conversation about moving forward. You guys, if you haven't already done so, definitely check out brand new Congress, um, brand new 535 on Twitter. Check them out on Facebook. Also look at the People's Summit, thepeoplesummit.org, um, and Political Revolution. I'm People's Revolution, sorry. People's Revolution is another endeavor similar to the People's Summit. That will be taking place in um, Philly right around the time of the convention. It's going to start... Um, yeah, right before the convention, I think the website is peoplesrevolution.org, I believe. I'll get the link, and if I don't drop it um, now, I'll put it in our Facebook group. Come check us out on Facebook. We got 250 members and growing. You know, keep the conversation going over there. So, um, again, while I'm checking back and forth, and I'll keep letting you guys know about what's going on with Indiana, how it's looking. I mean, basically, what we need to do, we can complain about what who hasn't done what. You know, recently, you guys remember back in December with the whole, oh my God, Bernie's stealing stuff from Hillary. Bernie's doing this. Bernie's illegal. He's a cheater. Well, that whole little computer snafu with the firewalls, turns out that an independent investigation, independent audit, which was part of the lawsuit that, Bernie, that Sanders can't file, they demanded an independent audit. 
And his story basically is what he said happened. You know, they wanted to, and, and granted, at the time it happened, and still now, everyone admits that wasn't the proper way to handle it with his, um, with the IT staff going into the breach, so to speak, to see how deep it went and to see if any of their data was exposed. That wasn't the right way to handle it. But they did affirm that there was no Clinton data. There was no other campaign data that was taken, that was looked at, that was copied, or any of the other nonsense that Debbie Washington Schultz and other quote unquote insiders had leaked out and alleged during the time. So, you know, the Sanders campaign, satisfied with the results, have dropped the lawsuit. We're all moving forward now. Um, so that's just a little aside as we move forward. You know, Debbie Washington Schultz has also come out and made some comments about Bernie Sanders not being clear on the, the, the way the Democratic Party works and the rules about the superdelegates. You know, I am really not inclined to believe a word that comes out of that woman's mouth because she will swear up and down one thing, one moment, you know, be disproven and then, you know, say something completely different, you know, some other point in time. So whatever. You know, the, the, the latest thing from her, because there's so many things, right? If we don't have a week with some crazy thing that Bill or Hillary says, then we got something that Debbie Washington Schultz is talking about. So Debbie has said in an interview recently, basically that, that she prefers closed primaries. She believes that to elect that parties should be allowed to limit who's allowed to vote in their primaries. That seems fair, right? You don't want people just coming into your club and electing, you know, joining up or people, let's say, you know, you run a club, you run a social gathering group or something. You don't want outsiders just coming in and making decisions for what you and your group do. I mean, that makes sense, right? Well, except when your little personal social gathering group, your little drinking pub, pub club, um, when you're making decisions for all of America, the fact that you want to just coordinate it off for you and your little buddies, you and your squad, nah, hun, it don't work that way. You know, um, Salam Marcos, we have some really good exchanges um, going back and forth. Definitely check him out on Twitter as well. Check out some of his writing on progressivearmy.com. We were having a, go a back and forth a little bit earlier about what the pros and cons are. You know, you know, one thing he raised, well, this is kind of good. If you have closed primaries only, the Democrats will be allowed to increase their base. They'll be able to increase their membership roles. You know, because people will have to become registered Democrats if they want, if they're dim leaning and they want to vote. Okay, that's one way. Personally, I I don't think that we need to do we need to enact rules or laws that make it easy for Democrats to be in control when they're not willing to put in the work to to earn that 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 power, so to speak. Right? They're not willing to put in the work to earn that place. I mean. We are struggling. When you look at our state maps, I've said this before, when you look at our state maps, our state houses, our state legislatures are red. Red, 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 red. What has the DNC done to help stop the hemorrhaging of state level seats? We talk all this stuff about supporting down ballot candidates, blah, blah, blah. We want to close primaries, but you're not doing anything. Okay, fine. You know, a state like Georgia, Georgia votes red. The last dim that we voted for in a general presidential election was Clinton's, Bill Clinton's first term in 92. Yes, the term where he posed at Stone Mountain with the, with the prison work camp behind him. In 96, they did not vote for him. Georgia did not go for him. Georgia has not gone blue in a presidential election system. And Georgia as a state has gone blue very few times in other major elections. Georgia's a red state. People trying to fool you about the purple. I mean, there are initiatives going on, but we need to do a lot of housekeeping, a lot of internal work. And I say we, as a left-leading person, that 98% of the time, 99% of the time, votes with Democrats. 
You know what I'm saying? If there were viable other candidates that were going to really work, because I'm more of an issue person, right? I understand these the parties want to hold and maintain their power the way they can. I understand that. That's a survival issue for you. But when we're talking about real social change and stuff, I'm not going to stand here and be here about you talking about, well, I just think, you know, closed primaries are the way to go. We need people only working for us. Um, you know, that's just not, that's not, that's not cool with me. Um, particularly when you look at in places like Florida, her own jurisdiction, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was maybe 30%. It was some large number of voters were not allowed to vote because really when she's talking about closed primaries, she's talking about her own primary challenger, right? Because Debbie Washington Schultz is being primaried right now by Tim Canova. Shout out to Tim Canova, Florida, Miami. Woo -woo. Um, we talked to, to Dr. Nkume Sobe previously, brand new Congress. You know, we need people in. We can't be, we can't allow the Democrats to say, well, we got to vote for Democrats. We got to vote for Democrats. No, we got to vote for people who are about the people. Seriously. And we need to hold those people who are currently in office accountable because they might not be there next door round. I mean, that's what's real right now. So, you know, earlier today, you know, Debbie Washington shows closed primaries. The thing I do say to people when people, when everybody's like, we need to start our own party, own party. Something to consider though, is if, if everyone leaves the party in droves and we don't change the system of voting that exists and the parties do get together, because I'm sure on the Republican side, they might be more interested in having um, closed primaries considering the way things have gone with Donald Trump, right? I mean, they face their own insurgency to some extent. Um, we don't want to just leave the, the rules and decision making to the people who do not have our interests at heart. You know, we want to make sure that we have a seat at the table. We want to make sure that we are in a position of power. And people have talked about the burning your bus movement and things like that as leveraging our vote, our power. We need to make sure that we're focusing on that, right? And not just, oh, I'm done with you. We had to think about what, what's, the, what's the long game, right? What, what, what's, the, what's, what's the carry through? What are we doing long term? Because that is how we really start creating change. Not just by I quit you, I'm going to go do this over here and do my own thing. Like that's good too. We do need to be prepared and ready to do that as well. And I'm not saying, oh, we need to go save the Democratic Party. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is we need to be fluid enough in our responses. We need to be fluid enough in our actions that we can do what needs to be done because we can't leave it to the likes of Debbie Washington Schultz and Patrick Murphy and all these other knuckleheads running around out there from Congress to make these decisions. They want closed primaries because they don't want you to vote. They don't want independence to vote in primaries, even though they need independence come general elections. I saw somebody, and I'm, I'm wrapping up with this topic because I got a lot of other stuff I'm going to talk to you about tonight. You know, got to get in there. And then, you know, I still, I got to do everything I do and make sure you have enough time to switch over to bid. Because, you know, that's just how we do things over here. You know, I got to make room because my big bro, he about to come on at nine. So, you know, you guys got to get you reared up and ready to go. Um, but I saw a meme the other day, like, if you don't vote, you know, voting is the stupidest thing you can not voting is the stupidest thing you can do. If you don't vote, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, then you're giving someone with a with a stupid vote basically more power and all this other stuff. Seriously though, for real. Me not voting, it, this is this problematic. Democrats complaining about independence or Bernie or Bust or whomever amongst us not voting, right? Is the dumbest dang on thing. It's it's ridiculous. You don't want us to vote in your primaries. You don't want us to have a say in the person or persons who will be leaders, who are the potentials to choose from. 
you want to handpick the options and then tell us, come on, you got to come get on our team because we got to stop them evil people over there. Huh? What do I look like? I am not a paid merc. You can't just, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, just come get with me now because I got this to do and I'll break you off a little piece of something maybe when I get around to it. It's the most ridiculous thing that, I, that I've heard. And people, there are some people who say, like, I might not vote. They might not vote for president. But there are a lot of people who are active engaged. And I, you know what? If you look at this, if you look at the choices between the two of them and you say, you know, I can't do this. I can't hold my nose. Like, I can't. I can't. Like, I can't do this. I'm not going to knock you because that's your choice. That is your right. That's what you're doing for yourself. More respect to you. But I do encourage you, if you're going to sit out the presidential election, that is your choice. But do not ignore your local races, yes, your, 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 your state level races. Do not ignore, ignore congressional races. Don't ignore the other levels of politics that most definitely directly affect your lives. Because the same people who complain about how ineffective President Obama have been, the same people who think, you know, this, that, and the other, I mean, how effective are, are any of the people, you know, going to be who are running for president without Congress, without us demanding certain things happen and occur? Seriously. So, um, yeah, I didn't really mean to spend that much time on, on, on Debbie Washman Schultz, the DNC closed primaries. But I really do think that we need to look at and, you know, Salam, we were going back and forth and we we, we and what's cool is uh, we all disagree. At the end of the day, it's all love because it's all family here in the Progressive Army um, and all our other affiliates. You know, Ben and the team have been doing a great job of reaching out to other folks. So, you know, um, thank you for the blessings and helping us all grow and stuff. But Salam said that, you know, well, what would be good is if they allowed for same day registration for independence. Like basically, if there were some like caveat, some carve out to allow independence to still be involved. And you know what? If we're pushing for something like that, then okay, I could see the merits of doing something. Like that. But my point still is the DNC, they need to they need to work for it. They need to make it happen. We don't need to just keep handing people our vote. We have the power because even though they get money and they, they try to, you know, they still need all of us to show up as actual bodies to vote. Um, so speaking of voting, speaking of Congress doing things, one of the big things that has, has I'm not sure if you all have seen this stuff. One of the things that I've seen, one of the things that I've really wanted to talk about as of late, I um, mean, haven't have not gotten around to doing it, but tonight seemed like a good time to do it, um, was the Puerto Rican debt crisis. Um, Puerto Rican debt crisis. Okay, Puerto Rico has debt. Okay, we all got debt. The U.S. has debt. True. Um, we all have debt. Puerto Rico has debt. Blah, 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 blah. No, not blah, 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 blah. Yesterday, I believe this is the third time now that Puerto Rico has been only able to make an interest-only payment on its debt. Um, Puerto Rico just defaulted on, I think it's a $422 million payment. Um, which is actually like a, I think it was like $390 million or $370 million, something like that. They were able to pay, Puerto Rico was able to pay the interest only, did not pay anything on the principal. Um, so why is this a big deal? Why is this news? I don't know if you guys remember last fall, there was a lot of discussions in Congress about the Puerto, the Puerto Rico debt crisis, about how to resolve it, how to help them restructure their debt, um, what needs to be done. Uh, so, okay, I'm still not understanding at all. Why is this an issue? Well, it's an issue because in the 1990s, let's go back in a little quick history lesson. In 1990s, there was um, there was a, a provision, section 1936, that uh, the thought was that by allowing it to el eliminate, allow allowing it to expire, um, 
it would boost, it would make the case for um, economic viability and like the economic viability as Commonwealth would no longer be a, a feasible or beneficial arrangement and would boost, you know, the opportunity or support for statehood because, you know, they have these remember, uh, referendums and they'll vote. And, you know, even though there is a there is a group that wants to be independent, there's a group that wants statehood, there's still this majority that sees a beneficial arrangement to being a commonwealth, to being basically a colonial territory, semi-colonial um, territory holding of the United States. Um, what, what the problem was with that um, certain, you know, economic benefits that did apply to Puerto Rico, like under this section at 936, and there was no other provision that really took its place. Um, the economy uh, had negative growth. Um, unemployment is, I think, at like 40 percent. Um, today, uh, poverty is like 45 percent higher than any mainland U.S. state. Um, again, Puerto Rico is a colonial holding, so to speak. So you know, some lawmakers within Puerto Rico, some decision makers decided that, okay, we, we have, we're hemorrhaging money, we're not, our growth has, has slowed, we're not, um, we're not growing, we're not, you know, I mean, this has been the largest um, immigration from, you know, the island to the mainland in the last 50 years or so, you know, those who have the means to do so are leaving behind, which is further eroding the tax base as well, right? So, uh, a group of creditors and invest investors um, stepped in and loaned the island money um, at a ridiculous interest rate, right? It's risky. This is why people get into this types of business, you know? You have these, uh, they call them vulture head fund, hedge fund managers, and they get into this business and they, they've loaned out all this money. They've done the same thing. This is similar to what's happened in Detroit to some extent. Um, some of these same, some of these same, um, entities, right? Uh, these brokerage firms, these 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 different bond investors or whatever, they have done the same as Detroit, Argentina. Um, it's 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 been it's happening in other places, not just Puerto Rico. So what's the problem? Why can't Puerto Rico just do something? You know, Detroit went through bankruptcy, right? So why can't Puerto Rico do? You know, so and so, you know, Puerto Rico cannot just restructure its debt in a bankruptcy, like a municipality or other state level, um, you know, government here in the United States, because they're not an actual sovereign entity, right? They, they, Puerto Rico does not have its own sovereignty. It, it's decision-making like, like that, it's financial, it's not in a position to do so. It cannot seek international financial assistance because it's not its own, individual separate um it's not its own individual separate uh country right it's a it's a semi i mean they say semi it's it's a colonial holding of the united states united states some of the uh you know state statehood is not necessarily looking like what congress so congress has been fighting back and forth congress you know, the Republicans are a little wary about allowing Puerto Rico to restructure its debt, supposedly, um, through bankruptcy, because Republicans who are getting ready to elect a, a nominee who's gone through bankruptcy, I don't know how many times, right, and it's clearly careless with his money, they're, they're reluctant to allow Puerto Rico to restructure its debt and to have the same 
power and provisions um, through through I think it's chapter nine and or some other provisions um, that like states and places like Detroit have been able to do because they claim there's been financial and political mismanagement and other things happening. They have been needs more oversight. There was a similar model used for Washington D.C. in the 90s. You know, um, this would be even more oversight and control in Puerto Rico, and that is of course not favorable. Um, so. When we're looking at some of these credit rating agents, we're not, we're, we're not credit agents, but we're looking at some of these 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 investment brokers, right? These vulture head funds like Fur Tree Partners and Appaloosa Management, Double Line Capital is another one, Avenue Capital. Um, they bought up the discounted debts, you know. They 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 got involved in this junk bond scheme, and um, you know you have all these problems. So so what does this have to do? I mean, you were just talking about like, you know, elections and choice. The fact that Puerto Rico does not have the autonomy, it does not have the independence, it does not have the ability to decide for itself how it's going to prioritize debts and expenses. So the way things are now, Puerto Rico is required to pay back their lenders, basically their loan sharks. This is like predatory lending on steroids is basically what it is. And there, it's like you pay this, but then you can't pay for teacher salaries or retirement funds. You can't pay for roads. You can't pay for schools. They've had to close. I think I forget what number is it. Like they've had to close schools. You know, the governor was saying that there's been difficulty providing the needed resources for police and fire vehicles. Even like it's taken. Like municipalities have taken a hit. Um, social service, like just not social service, but like regular public work services have taken a hit because they're not they're not able to. Um, restructure the debt. I mean, I keep drilling at home, right? Like this is so huge. Their their sovereignty is non-existent in this issue. And you know, with Section 936, Puerto Rico had like the highest per capita income. I mean, when you looked at Latin America, and um, you know, the 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 96 under GOP Congress in the Bill Clinton administration, hmm, there's a 10-year phase out right on a it was a tax exemption on u.s manufacturing on the island and it was supported as part of a deficit reduction measure right to save the federal treasury all this money but there was no economic development plan there was no there was nothing for what happens next and so we've we've seen this large recession in addition to the loss of this this economic resource right this economic uh, uh avenue for for the island um, you know, the housing bubble, you know, Wall Street has done a number on Puerto Rico as has done a number on many of our, our communities. There was a great article in Washington Post um, a couple of days ago, maybe two days ago, about how African-American um, communities focusing particularly here in Atlanta and uh, the, the, the county of DeKalb, DeKalb County, DeKalb County is one of the wealthiest um, counties with, for black people in the country. But you look at the same exact neighborhood on the south side of DeKalb, on the south DeKalb and north DeKalb, the same exact house. There's just a vast difference in property rights. And that's just where the hardest hit communities are still struggling to recover from the 2008 recession. And we're seeing something even worse, even more magnified. So when we're talking about Puerto Rico, so it's all these layers on top of each other. What's the problem? So Congress is dragging its feet. You know, Bernie Sanders is giving a speech about it. People, different people talked about it. Congress is dragging its feet. And we talk about campaign finance reform. There was, gotta go back to Salam at the end. I think it was Salam who, who posted earlier about how um, Hillary Clinton made a comment about how campaign finance reform would not directly impact anyone's life. Lies. 
lies, I tell you. Last week, I talked about how um, lobbyists were were influencing decision of sitting Congress members to um, object to Obama administration attempts to bring down or stabilize drug prices. That directly affects your life. That's campaign finance reform in action. Here, um, in this case, some of these same vulture, you know, hedge fund folks, they have like shell or fake or fronts that then also lobby Congress to basically stall, deny, or not approve Puerto Rico's ability to restructure its debt. Um, there is a measure that failed, and it's you know it's it's been said that it's because of those types of lobbying efforts. So campaign finance reform is an undercurrent through all of this stuff. Okay, like this is a very serious issue for multiple factors. When we look at the the legacy of colonialism in Puerto Rico. When we look at you know basically the fact that the United States just pilfers, plunders, and 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 just takes from everywhere else. And there there's there's when you get to something like this, and the U.S. is just sitting on its hands as Puerto Rico is struggling. I mean, struggling is not even a word. The question begs and has to be on people on the island. It has to be on their mind. What is the point of maintaining this relationship? Because if they were an actual independent nation, they were a sovereign nation, there are many more avenues that open up than if they retain this current, this quasi colonial stature. I mean, this is the legacy of colonialism. You know, it's not just some long, long forgotten history lesson. I mean, people are living it right now. So that's a brief synopsis of the Puerto Rican debt crisis. And I definitely want to switch, switch, switch out to um, some friends that I've, I've acquired over time so they can talk who are well more versed in this. But I, because of what happened yesterday, because there's a larger payment due in July and it's such a huge issue, again, how can you do something? You could mobilize you people out there, Progressive Army viewers, everyone. You know, we want people to work for us. This is something that we need all of our Congress folks to be working on. Puerto Rico needs a damn solution to this issue. People got to be held accountable. You know what I'm saying? And we need to make sure that when these issues are important to us, we make it happen. So, um, yeah. So before I get to my interview for the night, um, I, you know, happy to just kind of break up the news a little bit with you guys, chop it up a little bit. Um, let me see if there are any more numbers. Let me see if there are any more numbers. Um, I don't see anything quite yet, but there were a few other things that happened social media wise today. Uh, there is a couple things going on. Um, Hashtag white washed out, white washed out. Hashtag white washed out. Push back against the casting of Scarlett Johansson as Ghost in the, as the main character in the movie Ghost in the Shell. If you have not seen Ghost in the Shell, go check it out. I personally love anime, not sure if you do, but it's a very well done, done film. And it, there's a whole list of movies where people have protested about whitewashing of characters, particularly with Asian American characters, well, not Asian American, but Asian characters in general. I mean, the, the, the Last Airbender is another notable example of whitewashing of characters. Um, oh, excuse me. Awesome go also going on, starting at 8, and see, I should have said this at the top of the hour, and I completely forgot. Thank you so much, Chief, for putting this together for me. Um, Fair Trade Certified is celebrating women farmers and workers who, you know, basically produce fair trade products, women who are selling fair trade products, who are growing them, buying them, um, starting at 8 p.m., so we're a little bit behind, hashtag fair her, F-A-I-R-H-E-R. -E um, 
So definitely, if you guys can like interact on those things on Twitter, that'd be really awesome. And then also, um, there has been a hunger strike going on. There are five people doing a hunger strike. The Frisco Five, hashtag Frisco Five, hashtag Hunger for Justice SF, um, to get justice against police brutality. So there are things that we all can do, and what you know that people lack about hashtag activism. But seriously, it helps spread the words about a lot of issues that are going on that people may not readily see. Um, going on in their their everyday communities. Also, teachers in Detroit are still on sick sick out after learning their schools will run out of money in June. So, whereas Detroit is having issues paying its bills and stuff, it at least has autonomy to try to resolve those issues. But that's a whole nother conversation about when we look at internal colonialism over our urban communities. That would actually be a really hot discussion. I gotta make note of that um, when we look at actual technical colonial holdings such as Puerto Rico and then we look at what's going on with the takeovers in some of our, our urban centers. So what I wanted to do, which is brand new, which I haven't done before, is I wanted to do um, a sister to sister shout out and news update. Um, gotta give a shout out first and foremost to my bestie. Yeah, I'm bragging on my friends right now. Y'all gonna have to hold me for a second. My friend Courtney one of my mentees from law school, we're the same age, so it's weird calling her a mentee, but she was a few years behind me. Um, Courtney has got her first blog picked up by the HuffPost blog. She's a phenomenal woman, intelligent. She writes, she's at, at the Ivy Investor. Um, she writes about financial issues, you know, if you need to know about wills, trusts, estates, things like that, you want to know about how to invest. I mean, because these are things we need to know more about. We talk about, you know, the wealth gap and wealth creation in America, but a lot of us think that getting that paycheck, having a 401k, and saving a little bit of money is it. No, it's so much more to that, and we need massive financial literacy. So she's definitely someone to check out. Um, another sister I want to shout out right now is Corey Bush. Corey Bush is from Missouri. She's running for U.S. Senate. One of the Fergan activists who, who introduced um, Bernie Sanders when he was in southern Illinois. Um, she's at Corey Bush the number four Senate, and her office for her headquarters is opening May 7th. So y'all check out Cori Bush, show her some love. Um, the Hatch Act prevents me from telling y'all to donate, but you know, do what suits you. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to Katrina martin Bodeau. Katrina is up for Erie County Dem Chair. Erie County is the county around Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. Katrina runs Young Democrats of Western New York. I've spoken with them before. Really doing great things, and she is poise, putting into action what we're talking about, leveraging this movement, leveraging this involvement for creating greater grassroots and community level change. Um, also, this awesome little group of girls, high school students from Detroit, um, chess club, they won this national competition. Um, chess team from Detroit won this national competition Group, group of little black girls. I just wanted, you know, my son used to play chess. He wish I could get him to play again. But that just to me was just, you know, we have so many stories of black youth doing X, Y, and Z. I, that just warmed my heart when I saw these little girls. So I wanted to do a little bit of a positive sister shout out. So, um, oh, can't forget my boo, <laughs> Malia, the eldest of our little Obamas, um, first daughter, Malia Obama, has, as I'm sorry, everyone's seen. Sets to Harvard. I'm not even going to say nothing about her being a legacy or anything like that because I already know Michelle made her put in that work. I remember seeing an article from Michelle a few years ago about how the kids have to be involved in, in a sport after school. They have to do this. You know, we limit TV. 
Michelle is on it with the parenting. So I already know that Malia earned her spot. I don't really care what anybody's saying. And no one there raises the question when Chelsea or anyone else gets into an Ivy League school. So shout out to Malia. Definitely someone that I like for my daughter to see. Hey, she did it. Of course, her parents aren't rich politicians, but you know. So, um, and then finally, before I get to my buddy Chris, um, to bring it down for a little bit for a second, because uh, I really didn't know how to talk about this. Um, as, as some of you may or may not know, um, Afini Shakur, uh, the mother of Tupac Amaru Shakur, the, the late rapper, passed away last evening. Um, they're saying it was possible cardiac arrest uh, in her home in California. So, no, she wasn't just the mother of a rapper, if you're not familiar. You know, Afini Shakur had, his firm was originally from North Carolina. She had a very um, she she had a she had a struggle. I mean, she she was she was the example of a black woman, of a woman, of a of a fighter. We talk about revolution, right? She's she's the example of someone who worked against odds that were given before her to try and manage the different competing roles in her life. You know, when she was on trial, she's one of the the Brooklyn Twenty One. She was on trial for um, conspiracy bombing charges. Uh, uh, at, she was pregnant with Tupac at the time this was all happening. So at the time she's pregnant with her son, she is trying to help. I talked to my stepfather because um, Afini was a Black Panther, and my stepfather also was a Black Panther. And I talked to my stepfather a little bit, um, you know, earlier today about it. Just kind of get his take. And he was just saying like, what, what people don't understand about Afini is that, you know, she was not just trying to represent herself. She was also trying to help her co-defendants. She's out here trying to do research. She's trying to do this. You know, a lot of times you couldn't get lawyers to work with you because they would get freezed out. You know, Sean King has a piece today about COINTELPRO and FBI spying on contemporary groups. But I don't believe for one second that any of this stuff ever stopped. Like, all of a sudden, there's a cutoff point, and then it started again. I mean, they've made it difficult for so many people to be engaged in this work. So... You know, when I think back about Sister Afini's life, you know, after Tupac passed, she 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 um, she started a foundation here in Atlanta. Um, well, actually in Decatur, DeKalb County, um, and she did it there. But she did it here. I mean, you know, they're originally he was born in New York. They've lived in Philly. They, you know, if you watch, listen to Tupac, he's out in California. But she said that she started the 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 the, the Tupac Amaru Shakur Foundation, um, and there's also a performing arts center. I'm um, not that far from my parents' house here because this is where he bought his first home. So, um, so I just want to give a little shout out and send them to the ancestors. You know, rest in power, Afini, um, as we would say, Mama Afini. Uh, definitely inspiration for all of us as we're talking about moving forward and, and, and building revolution um, in our communities. So, oh wow, is this real? I just got a breaking news alert that Ted Cruz is suspending his presidential campaign. Um, wow. Wow, that's amazing, Chris. <laughs> Hi. Oh, how are you? <laughs> Sorry, I was yapping, yapping there. Everyone, this is Chris Hale, my guest for the evening. 
Um, shifting gears a bit, I know I'm all over the place, but I really didn't have a better place to put. I had to couch the Afini stuff in something else because otherwise I would be a little bit of an emotional mess for the rest of the evening. But I'm talking to someone else who has definitely brought change and doesn't mind rattling some some fences. <laughs> How are you doing this evening? Doing well. I'm curious as to whether Cruz, uh, I guess I'd like to call him Eduardo, whether he dropped out over the allegations of his father being associated with Kennedy's killing. What do you think? Oh, wow. No, see, I'm just now, because I haven't been at work all day. I haven't seen anything. This is, okay, so I'll just let everybody know, Bernie is still winning, and he's running away with highly populated county. So he's still winning in the end. It's 52.3 to 47.7. But this Cruz thing, and what you just said, I have to look into that, because I, I don't think I paid attention to that. Wow. I definitely think so, because I know there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, like, jokes and stuff here and there about his father and his past and stuff, but that, that one actually, um, that could do something. So that came out today. Did it? Okay. So I, I've been preparing for today and did not look for that. So I'm, I'm see. Chris, Chris, has already taught me something. So Chris, friends of waters, citizen lobbying, climate action. Talk to me. Wow, it's been it's been busy lately in West Virginia. So one fun fact, I don't with with friends of water. Of course, I just want to give a disclaimer. I don't. Go ahead. I don't. Um, I don't want to advocate for any specific candidates because we right. try to educate people on nonpartisan clean water voting action in terms of laying out information about the candidates and their issues. Um, I see that Bernie is leading in the polls here in West Virginia. That's an interesting term. Yeah, and I saw Hillary got a little bit of a beating on some of her cold comments. I mean, you know better than I do, or as well as I do, or you know, you probably know better than I do that you can't go to West Virginia and start hating on cold. No matter how abusive the industry has been to the people, you still have to be sensitive to the fact that it is some people's livelihood is it's of institutions better or worse. Um, and it's a very delicate way you have to have those conversations in some areas, particularly if you're not from there. Um, so I saw she got some pushback over some comments she made recently. She tried to clean it up some, but um, so what's what's I saw that there is you've been talking with someone again. You're not, and I get that. So Friends of Water um, is an organization that started out of basically the West Virginia water crisis, right? Two years ago. Correct. I mean, you've been doing other stuff before then, but that was the genesis, though, of Friends of Water specifically. Sure. When when the water crisis happened, I was working in Florida in the Jacksonville area, petitioning for a ballot initiative. That's okay. had over 600,000 signatures to put 3% of the state budget toward clean water and land conservation. And while that was happening, the chemicals still happened. And right. And I to help. And I started Friends of Water, and we got a good team together, and we started engaging in citizen lobby work directly in the middle of that legislative session. And we were actually quite successful and putting our legislators on the cold, so to speak, and having a direct impact on some of their decisions, I think, by putting their feet to the fire. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds like a, what a lot of people are talking about. They want to do now on a host of different issues. So, with the citizens, like with the citizens' climate lobbying, with the water stuff, like because we've talked a little bit about Flint, some of the different legal loopholes, like kind of like. Uh, 
I know you. I know you've talked with um, an environmental fellow that's working with the Sanders campaign on some of this stuff. So just can you give me a little brief overview of what you've been kind of doing? <laughs> I know that's a lot of stuff, but like, well, basically, like with the different, like we talk about Flint, we talk about the Detroit water issues, we talk about West Virginia. For those I've mentioned it several times, you know, West Virginia had a chemical spill. Um, that caused, you know, initial issues, but the response and the basically inability of anyone to be held responsible, government or actually from the bad actors themselves, has been kind of problematic. Um, and there are certain loopholes. Like people are like, well, we don't know we were actually required to do this. Like with the Safe, Safe Drinking Water Act, for example, um, the the Tosca was it the toxic uh, chemicals, uh, toxic chemicals basically regulation. This chemical was not even it hadn't been updated in, certain, in a few decades, so the chemical wasn't even listed. So, um, with some of like just, just some of the, with the water issues, just in particular that you've been seeing, like what are some of the issues, the legal loopholes, or like what are some of the strategies that are being utilized um, to maybe you know work around? Sure. Um, I spoke with Senator Sanders' office this week. One of my friends, Jake Riott, works in his office as a legislative fellow for Energy and Environment. And he's from Fayetteville, West Virginia. Okay. And got the job while he was there lobbying for the Ake Act, which is a bill that would hopefully ban mountaintop removal in its entirety. And basically, he asked for some stakeholder input. Um, they're putting together an aid package for Flint that would be, I think, $20 million that would be paid for through a bottle tax on soda and that sort of thing. And okay. Possibly a tax on pharmaceuticals and chemical feedstock at the source. And I would agree with that. I told them, as in the case of carbon, and that's where we're headed with Citizens Climate Lobby, by the way, um, not to change gears, but that's a great group that I'm affiliated with here, and I've started the Southern West Virginia chapter where we're actively lobbying for a carbon fee and dividend where you would charge right at the source for carbon $30 a ton and that would be paid out to every man, woman, and child in dividends. And that would help okay. offset medical costs, costs associated with cleanup. Um, most of these coal companies are self-bonded. And they're filing bankruptcy in light of um, their high supply, low demand, low coal prices, and uh, the increasing market share that renewables are gaining. So um, I've been working on building a team here in southern West Virginia to advocate for this carbon fee and dividend, which I might add that's a tough sell in southern West Virginia here in the coal fields. I'm people, sure. In the southern coal fields, yes, definitely. People aren't always receptive to it, but what's cool about that group is that John, Don Cheadle is on the board, so is Dr. James Hansen, a climate scientist with NASA, who was one of the first people to sort of ring the alarm bell about the climate crisis. Okay. And so this bottle tax and chemical tax would hopefully accomplish something similar to what a carbon fee would. And okay. uh, Senator Sanders' office is all over it. And it's good to see that. So one funny thing that they asked us about, um, where are all the loopholes and all of the water laws? Wow, that's a huge question, right? <laughs> there are so many loopholes. These laws are very complicated. They're written by the industry. And there are 
plenty of loopholes. Um, we could identify weaknesses with all of the laws, um, with lots of approaches, and West Virginia Rivers Coalition has been mm -hmm. working on clarifying and strengthening uh, the jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act in order to cover headwater streams and wetlands, known as the Waters of the U.S. or WOTUS Clean Water Rule. And all okay. of our West Virginia congressional members have been blocking it. So uh, one glaring loophole that came to mind is that the RCRA, Restricted and Delegated Oversight of Federal Regulation to the state, mm -hmm. the problem with that is, and we saw this in the water crisis, states then say that no regulations will be more strict than the federal regulation. So that creates a sort right. of double exemption. Uh, we refer to as the dirty secret mirror. And sadly, stateside, um, this popular legislative policy wonk attitude is to defend these broken rules that we have while repeating the mantra, sometimes it's better to stop a bad bill than to pass a good one. And we were successful okay. in stopping a bad bill this year in the West Virginia legislature, specifically enforced pooling, which basically equals legalized robbery that would give gas companies the right to say take property from people if a pipeline route were going across their property for example. So by applying heavy duty pressure through social media primarily and also through some boots on the ground at the Capitol, we were able to stop that bad bill this year. So it is often better to stop a bad bill than pass a good one. Um, so a problem I've been working on specifically in my community that pertains to this is natural mm -hmm. well gas brine, uh, natural gas well brine, as well as produced brine, which is fracking waste. And they're not considered hazardous waste according to federal law, which is a huge problem. So they're not subject to all the protections that would normally apply. Um, as a result, we don't have stringent enough regulatory guidelines for disposal of waste handling or radon emissions. So both natural gas well brine and produced brine have roughly equal amounts of radium-226 and radium-228. And under the radiological health rules, the West Virginia DHHR should be testing for radium, and they're not doing it. They mm. don't do it since the DEP issues all the permits and regulates injection wells. The DEP has an agreement even to use this natural gas well brine as de-icer on our roads in Raleigh County. And that's especially okay. troubling. No one, you know, if they don't consider it hazmat and no one's testing for radium, yet they're spraying radioactive material on the roads, that's a huge cause for concern. And um, with no one's testing for the radioactive elements, so we do have a leaking injection well in Ritchie County and also one in Wolf Creek and Lock Gilly, about 15 miles from where I am that's failed. And Dr. Susan Nagel just released a new study showing endocrine disruptors in Wolf Creek there in Fayette County. And that's quite troubling. So you're familiar with Dr. Raul Gupta. He's a great yes, guy. Yes. He's a wonderful man, but he's in now a bad position because he's appointed. So he's probably concerned with being fired, as would be the head of the DEP, if that makes sense. Anyone in an appointed position is in a precarious situation. So we asked 
Gupta last year why they don't test for radium, and he replied that basically he doesn't know where their authority lies, and that he would follow up with the industry to see how that could be accomplished. He doesn't know how to implement the testing, and I think that the law should require the DHHR to conduct stringent testing for radium and other contaminants like benzene as a check right. and balance for the industry. So um, DEP seems to be more concerned with uh, being industry friendly as far as the permitting process goes. So um, basically, the DHHR is on the health and medical side, and they are more precautionary, and they need to be forced to work together. So storage tanks handling fracking waste aren't deemed potential sources of contamination either. So we had a rather contentious hearing in Trap Hill last week, about seven miles from my home here, where I pressed the DEP for radium testing and pressed them on the loopholes, and they told me if I didn't like it to change the law, quote, end quote, which I intend to do. Um, Dr. Amjad, a candidate for mayor here in Beckley, she okay. was nice enough to attend the meeting with me, and she said that they were rude, unprofessional, and antagonistic, and she wants to bring in the EPA. And as we know, all these agencies failed during the water crisis. The yes. state failed. The water company failed. The EPA failed. So we can't even trust local water testing labs here in Raleigh County. One was shut down within the last year for faking samples. Um, I remember seeing that, yeah. That's a huge cause for concern. So, basically, as a result of the DEP dysfunction and industry side of bias, we'd like to push for better, stronger legislation on this radium testing. Um, as far as the SW, SDWA, the Halliburton loophole wasn't the only fracking enabler in the Energy Policy Act. And there are laws in that. There's a hole in that law. Um, as it stands, FERC is entirely unaccountable to public will. Mm -hmm. They're unaccountable to Congress or even the White House. Commissioners are appointed to five-year terms and do as they please. And they rubber stamp all kinds of things for the fossil fuel industry. So additionally, the Energy Policy Act repealed the most important anti-monopoly law which is another huge problem that it would safeguard consumers from the overreach of the oil and gas industry. So, so, so Chris, Chris, it just seems like there are all these areas that are really important for like not just, you know, companies and the way like towns and cities do business, but for everyday individual humans like public health, safety, and welfare. And there's all this like, there's all these gray areas, there's all these gaps, there's all these different people who don't want to take you know, um, responsibility or accountability or take the lead on anything. Like, as we're talking about citizen climate lobby, as we're talking about Friends of Water, as we're talking about this individual, you know, people with active spirit, what do you think, what would be some suggestions? We're running, because I'm sorry, I ran over into our time, so we're running a little bit sure. short to close. But, like, what were some takeaways? Like, what would you advise people, kind of, definitely you guys, go check out Friends of Water, Friends of Water on Twitter, Friends of Water is also on um, Facebook. Um, what what are some takeaways you kind of think that we could like share people because this is like we're gonna have to have another conversation about this oh, yeah. you and I I mean Chris and I've been having conversations for like two years now about this stuff 
Um, what are some takeaways? What are some things that people should be looking at or getting into, or what are some strategies you think that can help, like with citizen action, right? Because um, we have issues with coal ash, you know, leaching into groundwater here in, in Georgia, for example, which I know has been a problem in West Virginia, North Carolina, and other places as well. So, like, all this stuff is very, very different, and I know everyone's like, whoosh, but it's very similar. We're talking about the interaction between the different state and federal. And, you know, you heard him say lobbyists, right? Lobbyists have been writing laws and dictating laws. Campaign finance reform, anyone? Um, what, do you, what are some things that you just think, you know, That's going why forward? citizen lobby work is so crucial. Okay. And that is why grassroots organizing is so crucial. And that's also why citizen enforcement is absolutely the most important thing we can engage in. Um, unfortunately, we have to provide citizen oversight over these regulatory groups or regulatory agencies that fail us, and that's that's troubling. You'd like to think that we could just fix them, but right. it's not going to happen that way. So um, one way that I've seen um, us be successful in dealing with that is by holding their feet to the fire with aerial surveillance and by calling in violations on stream contamination on our own. Okay. And also, um, I've noticed that the big green groups aren't getting a lot done. The people who are actually making change, making things happen on the ground are small community grass action, grassroots action groups like us, right? So right, that, right. That seems to be a more effective tactic. So I've been talking with Angie Rosser about that at West Virginia Rivers Coalition. She's more of a policy wonk. She was asking right. What's the best approach? Are we going to go for a statewide ban? That's going to be hard to do because the oil and gas industry has such a grip on West Virginia. Yes. So I think it's an all-of-the-above approach. I think that Fayette County just passed a model ordinance ban to ban the disposal of fracking waste through injection wells in their community. EQT, who also owns one of the huge pipeline projects where they're trying to ship natural gas overseas, um, they're fighting it in court using the same property rights argument we used against forced pooling, saying they're allowed to do what they mm -hmm. want with the property. But basically, it's going to take a lot of grassroots effort in terms of people standing up in their own communities. A lot of people within organizations call that the NIMBY effort, and they get frustrated with that, you know, the right. not in my backyard movement. Right. But that movement is golden because that's where the action happens. You get enough people in your community to stand up with you and to say no, then you can make change. So that's been a huge takeaway for me. You know, continuing to see small, scrappy groups in West Virginia with no money getting a lot more done than the big ones with lots of resources. Well, that's what we saw. To go back to the West Virginia water crisis, that's our common connector. Is that you know we had a lot of people who were never engaged. Sound familiar, guys? Who were never engaged in the process before, never really cared what was going on, never really involved themselves. Stand up and say, "No, I'm going to come give my testimony. You're going to listen to me, and we need more of that on a continuous basis across the board." So, Chris, I'm sorry to cut you short because I got to get ready because we're trying something new tonight. So I got to switch. You got to switch to a different channel for the next show. But I thank you so much, and I definitely would appreciate you coming back to talk to me some more because this is like, this is huge. <laughs> I want to talk to you more about citizen lobbying in general because we've talked about this. I think Ralph, you know, has talked about this too because this is something we really need to do too. just talk to people more about like what's possible, what can we be doing, how can we get initiatives like this started elsewhere. So definitely want to. 
you know, help bolster your efforts as much as possible. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Anoa. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. We need to schedule a, a Friends of Water, you know, get back the band together type of conversation anyway. So definitely we'll hit you up out on, offline after this. So thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you. So good to see you. All right. Good night, Chris. Okay, guys, it is almost the 9 o'clock hour. It is almost time for the Benjamin Dixon Show. We are getting ready to send out this next link. Yeah, because we're just going to keep moving and rolling right into the next show. Um, I am Anoa Changa. This has been The Way. You know what I'm saying? Because I got my own way of doing things. Nah, not really. Okay, you know, I try. But um, we talked about a lot of stuff, and I want to appreciate Chris um, for coming and talking to us about citizen lobbying action, kind of looking at the overarching issues with some of the gray area with, 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 with the legal side of some of these water issues we're seeing across the country, because there is a problem with this gray area and who's accountable and who's responsible. Is it the state's responsibility? Is it the county? Is it the government, federal government? Who's going to hold this actor accountable? You know, so there are all these problems. Um, but that goes into the Puerto Rican debt crisis conversation. It goes into the early crisis about the Democratic Party. Because when we're talking about West Virginia, West Virginia has been a democratically held state for like 80 years, up until like a year ago, right? Um, so we're talking about, you know, the, the, the undercurrent throughout all this conversation has been campaign finance reform, campaign finance reform, CFR. It's, it's a real thing, not the code of federal regulations, campaign finance reform. Um, I mean, you know, the ability to, to influence and shape laws and legal issues, it matters. This is why we need to vote and we need to we need to demand and hold people accountable. That's the that's the like most basic aspect of citizen lobbying. Um, as we're looking forward, we need to be more involved and engaged in understanding how this all works. Definitely want to send a shout out again to all my my, my thank you everyone who's just watching. Send a shout out to all my friends and family who support you know, the Benjamin Dixon show, The Way with Anoa. You know, I'm not really sure what Diz and Richard are calling their show, but I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait for Thursday. Um, but I thank you guys again. Thank you to the live production team and everyone else. Dr. Q, thank you for the research. Yay. Love, I got to show you guys one day these dossiers she, she helps prepare for me. Um, so I just want to end you guys, leave you guys with a final quote. Um, it's not about supplication. It's about power. It's not about asking, it's about demanding. It's not about convincing those who are currently in power. It's about changing the very face of power itself. That was Dr. Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, another one of my favorites. So, I mean, seriously, this is about changing the game. You know, we gotta change the players, but we also need to change the game as well. It's no sense of keeping the system, keeping the game that, that we is and just changing the faces. Um, we have a, we have a, you know, we have a corrupt campaign finance system. We have an, a, a federal government. We have a, a monarchy. You know, we have this this elite group that refuses to hold Wall Street, which is not just you know benefiting from the misery of us on the mainland, but they're pilfering not just Puerto Rico, but places like Argentina and abroad. So um, there's a lot going on, and so we got to keep we got to stay stay focused, stay attention, um, and keep it moving. Uh, I'm waiting for the link to give you guys for Ben's show. But um, anyway, I will talk to you guys later on. Hope you get the link. Hop on 9 p.m. Benjamin Dixon show.